The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are beginning a four-week series uh, leading up to Easter from the book of Mark. And uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, uh, we're going to be looking mainly at the most foundational verse in the book in verse 45, but we'll be jumping around in the book of Mark and also other passages of Scripture today as we look at um, the subject of ransom, the idea that uh, Jesus is our ransom. You know, words are important. Uh, It doesn't matter whether they're big or small. Actually, the little words can make a lot of difference and have great value. Some of you know the story of our little guy, Owen. He is the fourth. Yeah, everybody just go, oh, yeah, he's so sweet. He's a little deceiving, you know, that face, that smile, you know there's a lot of mischief behind that. I'm surprised he didn't jump in the water on that field trip we had. But um, Owen is our fourth, and uh, we have three children by birth, and then we decided that God was leading us to foster, and so we, uh, we received Owen on our front porch at a week old, and now he's three and a half, and we're really excited to have him, but with that comes some struggles and some, uh, some difficulty. He's a handful. He's busy. He's, oh man, he's so energetic. I thought our other son was uh, hyper, <laughs> but uh, Owen's a ball of energy. And along with that, he also has a speech delay. So he's three and a half, but he really is in this situation where he's about one and a half with a speech. And so his words are very important. And Candace, my wife and I have discovered that words are even more important because we're leaning in, we're listening, we're like, what are you saying, <laughs> you know, and sometimes we'll get a word here and there and we figure out, oh, this is what you want. And one of the first words that he learned and was a valuable word in his life, actually a word that he made up, but we understood what he was saying, is the word nilk. Like, that's not a word. Well, according to Owen, it is. So it's a word. But it actually means milk. And milk to him is Um, we drive across the Belton Dam, and you look at the lake, that's nilk. If you uh, see a uh, bathtub full of water, nilk. You have a cup in your hand full of milk, it's nilk. So nilk is pretty much covers anything liquid for him. But these words are important because he's developed the ability now uh, through some help, you know, he's starting to form sentences, and it's really cute that he's forming sentences, and now he says like, Kind of like he was in the old school German army, like, I want milk. And so he's like emphatic with his words. And those two words, I want, are very important than him just saying the word, right? And so words are important, even the little ones. And there's a little word found in Mark 10.45 that has immense value and meaning. So let's look at that verse. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice the word for. In the English language, this word simply points to the person for whom the ransom was paid. So for you, for me, for many. But the Greek language is a little deeper than that. And the Greek language helps us understand things a little bit better. And that's the word anti. Anti, and it carries with it the idea instead of, in place of, or substitute. It's a little further than just saying for us, 
but it changes it to help us understand in substitute for us, in place of us. So it gives a little more value and meaning in in that little word. And the reality is that we needed a substitute. We need a substitute. Ephesians 2 talks about how we are under God's wrath because of our sin. The reality is our sin is wicked and evil in God's sight. And He is a just God. And we are under His wrath. And we need a substitute. We need a replacement. And so carries with it, uh, there's a big word that we use a lot of times in Christian circles called propitiation. And that word propitiation means to make favorable. The idea that our substitute allows us to be seen by God as favorable. It doesn't mean that your actions are any more favorable than they were before. You're still a screw up. I'm still a screw up. We all do things wrong. We all fail God, we do evil things, and our thoughts are evil. But now, when God can look at us, he sees us as favorable because of the substitute. And also, we we see another word in that verse called ransom. It's a Greek word, lutron, which means to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner. Jesus' death was an amazing show of just how much he loves us, but it's much more than that. Because of sin, we all owe a debt that we cannot pay on our own. We owe this debt. And we can't pay it. But instead, God bought our freedom. His death on our behalf was the only form of ransom that could set us free. And so it's important for us to focus on that. So in Mark chapter 10... If you look at the verses behind 45, before 45, if you look at those verses, there's an interesting interaction going on. Some of you may know this interaction where James and John, uh, one of the, two of the disciples, uh, and these guys are two of the three that are kind of on the inner circle. And you got these dudes and their mom, and she enters the situation and uh, she's talking to Jesus and kind of trying to slide them in here to a, a better position. And they're talking about being the greatest and who's the greatest. And hey, can my son sit at your, fo- your, your right hand and, and be, be kind of prominent? And Jesus calls them out for what they're saying and goes, uh, you have no idea what you're asking. No idea. And in this idea here where we see Mark 10, 45, this is Jesus' response to all that. This is his response to these men thinking pridefully in their hearts and this mom jumping on board as well. I know no moms do this in here, uh, kind of interjecting for their kids, but uh, this mom did. And uh, so it's important for us to see this because in this process, we see the other disciples, the other ten. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a family of four kids, and I'm the youngest of four. And if I heard this junk going on, you know, James and John trying to pull this over, I'd be confronting some people called my brother and sister. My oldest sister, she's the oldest. She's kind of like a second mom. We kind of ignored her. Uh, she's just perfect and didn't mess with her. But the other three, including me, was like, let's go. This is not good. What are you trying to do? I'm the youngest. I'm supposed to get preferential treatment, not you, Right? And so these disciples, they're ticked. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, and in front of us, really? You, what, you want to be in this special place and then 
They probably later were thankful. They're like, oh, uh, Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But it's important for us to see this concept of ransom is the very purpose Jesus came to earth. Jesus' death was absolutely central to why he came. Jesus' death wasn't just some other little story on the side, just part of the miracles and other things. Jesus' death was the core of why he came. And what's interesting about that is uh, we, for the last eight weeks or so, we've, we've done a world religion study down at the Outback with our junior high students. And we've covered Islam and Jehovah's Witness and Hinduism and Mormonism. And, and they've really been into that. And it's kind of surprised me a little that, that fifth or eighth graders have soaked this in and been like, yeah, tell me more. And they've raised their hands with questions, which hardly ever happens unless I ask them. And they've been into it. And, and one thing that we continually reminded them, because it's there all the time, is that Christianity is the only religion that has somebody who came with the purpose of dying, with the purpose of giving their life as a substitute. And it separates from all other religions and cults. The idea that this person, the Son of God, came with the central purpose to die. So it's a powerful thing as we look at that this morning. So I want us to just consider a few questions to think about. And the first question is, why do we need a ransom? Why do we need a ransom? Psalm 49 verse 7 and 8 says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Here's the reality. If you have kids or you got a good friend and you jump in front of somebody, you know, to take a bullet for them, that's great. That's love. That's sacrifice. But if I take a bullet for my kids so that they can live a little longer on this miserable earth, it doesn't give them eternal life. So I can't sacrifice them. I can't be their ransom. It would be nice if I could, but I'm a screw-up too. I'm a sinner. I can't be their ransom. And this is what the psalmist was saying. Look, it can't happen with another human being. And you might say, you know, I'm a good person. And you might say, you know, I, I might sin a little bit, but I'm generally good. And, and we need to deal with that real quick. That the fact is, none of us are good. You might sit out there and say, well, the things I do wrong aren't as bad. I don't really hurt anybody. I just think bad things or I take bad things in and it's more like this. And it only takes one sin to truly separate us from God. But the reality is this. If we're honest with ourselves, our sin looks more like this, this big pile. And it looks like this times 100. I borrowed these rocks from across the street. I borrowed them and actually I did ask. Uh, actually, some of the workers helped me load them into my truck. So you can ask them. Uh, a couple years back, I would have just taken them, but uh, I've grown since then. But uh, so the idea is this, you imagine this pile just piled up to the ceiling to the point that you can't see me, you can't see the worship team. That is our sin. That is the weight of our sin and the evil that exists inside of us. Whether you're a really good person like my oldest sister, or you're like me, the youngest, who, man, I was, and I still am, a mess. 
But the reality is this. This is the weight of our sin. This is what we're up against before a righteous God. And we have no hope in ourselves. We have no hope in our family. Although our family might be sweet and want to sacrifice for us, it doesn't work. So then the topic of this enormous debt that is represented by these rocks we see before a perfect God there's a man, Mark Driscoll, pastor, that points out we need three things. Number one, we need a mediator. We need a mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We need a mediator. We need someone to stand between us and God and to kind of calculate, help us understand what that debt looks like. Because we like to minimize it, right? Even with our interactions with our family and friends, if we do something wrong to them, we, we kind of minimize it, right? We're kind of like, I'm sorry you felt that way. When in reality, it's like, no, I sinned against you. And we need somebody, a mediator to say, here's the reality of what you've done and what you are doing that separates you from God and shows you your position. We're not only a mediator, we need a redeemer. Colossians 1 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need someone to redeem us, to intercede for us, to pay our debt to God, the righteous judge. And lastly, we need a ransom, a repayment sufficient enough to erase our debts. Fortunately for us, Jesus is gracious. God is loving and gracious. Matthew 18 explains this. It's a parable that Jesus tells, and in verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, just an enormous amount of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. If you know the parable, the parable goes on to describe how the guy that was forgiven was owed a much smaller debt in comparison. And instead of forgiveness, he ended up choking the guy who wouldn't pay him back. But if you focus on the first situation, you realize the enormous debt that was paid. Jesus tells this parable to help us understand our ransom. I did a wedding for a former student yesterday in Marble Falls, and as I drove down to Marble Falls, and I was all by myself, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and if you never heard the guy, please go to YouTube, podcast him, it's crazy. He's just a powerful uh, speaker, and One of the things that he points out in in the subject of what a Christian is or who a Christian is, just two simple words that carry with it great power. And I suggest if you don't write anything down, write these two words down. Loved failures. What is a Christian? A Christian is a loved failure. And what he did was he painted this picture of the fact that God, in his immense love, loved us so much he sent his son Jesus. But on the other side, we are failures. 
And the reality is, even when we come to Jesus and we trust Him as our Savior, we don't stop being failures. I still disappoint my family. I still disappoint my wife. I still do things wrong. I think thoughts I shouldn't. I say things I shouldn't. I'm still a failure. But I'm loved And in between me and God is the one who makes me favorable to God, Jesus Christ. So I'm loved on one side, I'm messed up on the other, but fortunately I got Jesus in the middle. And it's a powerful thing to consider. So we've seen why we need a ransom and now we can look at who is our ransom. And some of those verses explained it, but Jesus goes further to do it himself. If you look back at Mark chapter 8, if you want to turn there and bounce back to Mark 8, we can see in Mark 8 and Mark 9 and Mark 10 that Jesus tells the disciples that he is the ransom. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then you jump over to Mark 9, look at verse 30, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. So notice there the second passage. He gives a little more detail than before. He starts out saying, I'm going to be killed and I'll rise again. And then he gets into, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him. And then three days I'll rise. And so a little bit more. And then we get into Mark 10. If you jump over there, Mark 10, verse 32 to 34, he gives lots of detail. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It's like he knew they weren't getting it. You know, he's like, all right, I'm going to help you out here. This instance, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. This instance, I'm going to be taken in the hands and, and be killed. And now, I'm even telling you, look, I'm going to be flogged and be spit on and be ridiculed and mocked. But I'm going to rise again. And it continually says they don't understand. They don't understand. They're not getting this. They were fearful. They were you know, afraid. They followed him, but they were amazed and fearful at the same time. And just a whole range of emotions. And oftentimes, I've done this, you might do this to the disciples and might say, man, these guys are idiots. How can they not get this? He's saying this three times. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But I think we got to cut them some slack and realize our pride because there are so many things Jesus tells us in the Word of God and we don't get. So many things that even we see clearly sometime, maybe like today, and then we go away and we forget, or we actively just ignore it. And in the disciples' case, he was revealing to them his will and his desires, but they weren't grasping it, and he does that with us too. He did that with the Israelites, and we saw them. Man, how can they do this again and again and again? 
And man, we put ourselves in that situation, we'd be doing the same thing. So we need to understand, Jesus is proclaiming that he is the ransom. He's not a form of a ransom, or he's not a sign of the ransom, but he in body and flesh is ransom. Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis puts it in a way that is always a little confusing and also insightful. C.S. Lewis' simple statement says, we are saved from God by God. We are saved from God, the righteous judge, God the Father, who can't have sin in his presence. We're saved from that righteous God, the judge, by God in the representation of him in the form of Jesus Christ, who came as our ransom, who came to pay the penalty of our sin, this enormous debt that we could not pay as our ransom. And then lastly, we can look at how do we live as ransomed people. So we see why do we need a ransom. We see who the ransom is in the form of Jesus Christ. And then maybe we need to look a little bit of how do we live as ransomed people. And there can be a list, you know, full, a notebook full of reasons and how we can live as ransomed people. But there were just four that came to my mind as we, I was looking at the passage this week and before First is ransom people are humble people. The immense ransom that Jesus paid on our behalf does not prove how valuable we are. I want you to get that straight. You are loved. Don't get me wrong in this statement. You are loved by God. It's said over and over and over again in Scripture that He loved you so much. That he sent his son Jesus. But we often take that, those statements and we prop ourselves up. And we say, man, I must be valuable. God would send his only son just for me if I was the last person on this earth. Aren't I valuable? And it creates this sense of pride in us that God never intended us to have. This pride in who we are that somehow we had so much value that God would send His Son for us. And that's not the Gospel. If you understand it correctly, we see their need and the the ransom that, that we have is it proves how horribly disgusting our sin is. It proves how helpless we are before a righteous God. And it proves how gracious the Father is to us. How loving He is to us because of our disgusting sin. Because of the state that we are in. And it points to God. The the gospel never should end up pointing to us. The gospel should always point back to God. And in his book, King's Cross, Tim Keller, I don't know if you guys noticed that I like reading and listening to him yet, but Tim Keller responds to the pride of James and John. So going back to that story about James and John wanting to have a special place in the kingdom and the mom interjecting and doing her thing, you know, and she's all worried, like, are my boys going to have a place here? I hear about death and I hear about all this suffering. Are my boys going to have a good place? Are they going to be set and taken care of, right? And moms, I know you can relate to this. Are they going to be set? She's worried. 
And he responds to this worry. Keller says, but do you know where worry comes from? It's rooted in arrogance that assumes I know the way my life has to go and God's not getting it right. Real humility means to relax. Real humility means to laugh at yourself. Real humility means to be self-critical. The cross brings that kind of humility into our lives. Ransom people are humble people because they realize who they are without Christ. Ransom people are also obedient people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It talks about obedience and the result of that obedience and gives a great picture of the ransom that was paid. Listen to these verses. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There is so much richness in that passage for us to grasp. But one of the things that he points out is that ransom. We, as, as English speakers, we, and even as Spanish speakers or other languages, we understand a ransom to be a payment that's a monetary payment, right? Like cash or something. Like I, I even thought about uh, showing a clip of Taken, but then I didn't want to freak you guys out because that movie will mess you up as a dad of daughters. I still don't understand why he didn't watch her the second and third time. But... Uh, I guess he just wanted to beat people up some more. I don't know. But the reality is that it's not this monetary thing. It's not gold and silver, as the Scripture says. It's not cash uh, paid for you. But it's bigger than that. The ransom that we see in these verses, it's the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What a powerful thing. And as a result of that, we choose to be obedient. We don't choose to be obedient to impress our Father, to make up for this stinking huge pile of rocks, you know, this sin in our lives, to, to try to say, I'll do better next time. But no, we act in obedience out of love for what has been done to us, the ransom that has been paid for us. So, we are obedient people, and then ransom people are also serving people. Ransom people are serving people. They live with a different perspective. One who has experienced the chains of sin shattered, the uncountable debt deleted, the standing before the Father restored can't help but live a different way. When I say a different way, I don't mean trying to do your best, as we said, to pay God back or attempting to do good to impress somebody. Because ransom people realize the impossibility of payment. The impossibility for you to repay what was done for you. In Mark 10.45, it's not referring to what we may generally think is serving. When Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve 
It's a little different. It kind of messed me up as I studied this to get ready for this today because as a local outreach pastor, I try to create opportunities uh, for people and help push them in directions that are serving areas like Feed My Sheep, Helping Hands, Hope Pregnancy, Family Promise, all these things, uh, the food drive, the gift drive, and, and lots of things that we do here at TBC. But what made me a, a little bit confused is I've always understood that word, again, to be physical acts of service. But again, words can mean different things. And in this passage, we need to understand that what he's calling us to as a result of what he came to do is sacrifice, to die. In that passage, he says to them, remember, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. And what he was saying is this. You don't realize I'm going to be on a cross right here. And you know who's going to be on my right and left? Two other guys. They're not going to be in a high position. These dudes are going to be dying too. And what you're asking to be in this position next to me, you are asking to die. And he's like, you're not ready for that. Now eventually they would be to physically die for the gospel. But when we talk about serving, and when Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, he's saying, I came to lay my life down. To give my life. True discipleship that looks different in our lives. This fact in these verses Jesus was talking about, It looks like death. It looks like a ransom. It doesn't leave any room for glorifying self. It's a willing act of giving ourselves and dying to ourselves and living for Jesus, the life that he lived. And the last thing that ransom people are, are loving people. Ransom people are loving people. Jesus Jesus explains this concept of service leading to death and love in John fifteen thirteen, It says, Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. On the topic of love and being loving people, ransom people, they seek justice. They seek justice for the poor, the hurting, the widow, the fatherless, those that have been treated by society, even forms of races of people that have been treated horribly in society, and they seek justice, and they seek love. And they seek to be that to the people around them and in their community. If you love a person who seems to have it all together, it really doesn't add up to much love at all. Jesus told that story uh, in a parable where he talks about the fact that, hey, If you love somebody that can pay you back, say you invite someone over for dinner, maybe college students, like, no, you got a place of your own now. You know, I used to cook for Candace. I think that's why she married me because, no, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not a very good cook, but if you invite someone over to eat, but that person also has the ability to pay you back and be like, all right, it's my turn. You can invite me. Uh, What are we going to do here? It's really not that much love taking place. It's like you're just, it's an interaction. It's like, all right, you're going to have me over. I have you over. It's just a friendship here. But if you get to the point where you start 
to love somebody and get into their mess. Like you might know some people that you would describe as a hot mess or describe as somebody that maybe has the middle name drama. And those people, and maybe you are that person, so you can love me better because I know I'm a mess too. When you start to get messy with love, and they're mess, you can't help it, but they're mess, you know what it does? It gets on you. And their mess gets all over you. And you know what that is to God? It's beautiful. It's not the idea, in American circles we have this idea of creating these families that are free of drama and free of distress and free of brokenness and and we live in our little bubbles and then outside of us that's the drama and we go to the drama but then we retreat back to our safe places, right? Stay out drama, leave it over here and I'll go to that drama because I'm a good Christian, right? I'm not bringing that drama to my house. I'm waiting until that drama leaves my house. <laughs> doesn't come back. Right? Well, maybe it comes back to visit, right? But the reality is this. That's not what love as ransom people looks like. Love as ransom people looks like a mess. It looks like getting into people's worlds that might be messier than yours and actually staying there and eating there. And hanging out and being friends and being somebody who genuinely sees them as someone who is loved by God, not a project. So it's a powerful challenge that we all have. And Tim Keller points out all life changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. You think about that statement. Just read it and let it sit in for a second because. Life-changing love has to have with it some kind of substitute. Some kind of exchange that takes place where that person may not be worthy of love, but I'm taking that time to love them as Christ has loved me. And I'm substituting, in a way, that love for the love maybe they didn't receive. Or the love that they don't understand. And in Christ, you get to sometimes be that substitute. In love. Dorothy Day is a, a writer and activist, and uh, my wife gave me this statement from a conference she went to last week, and as I read it, it punched me in the gut, and um, I'm sure it's going to punch you. It says, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. It's pretty powerful. I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. What do our actions show as ransomed people? What do we see in the things that we do in reflection to others? And thinking about that statement is pretty powerful. And to follow it up, we have John thirteen thirty-five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So let's think about that ransom. The fact that we realize we need one. We realize Jesus is our ransom. And then we understand, man, we're supposed to live differently. With the power of the Holy Spirit alive in our lives. 
So I'd like to challenge those that maybe don't know Jesus, haven't experienced this ransom, to consider it. To think, God loved you. He sent His Son Jesus to be the payment for you that you couldn't pay on your own. It's a matter of trusting that payment, His death on the cross for your sin, and believing on Him to change your life, to renew you and make you new and restore you. I'm going to ask the ladies to come up and they're going to sing a closing song. And those that do know Jesus in here, those that are are Christians, those that follow Jesus, I want you to take this time right now, a time where we sing a, a song that many people know has been around for a long time, to reflect and meditate on the cross, to confess sin, to commit to Christ, to live as ransomed people. And as we stand, go ahead and stand. And as we stand together, you're welcome to take this opportunity to pray with family members, to come forward in response and even pray right here down in front, to get things right and confess sin and embrace that ransom. If anybody would love to talk or pray, I'm going to be down front and You guys are welcome to join me and I'll pray with you and and we'll share together and uh, really reflect on this awesome ransom. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you thankful. We come before you in awe. We come before you humble to realize that you did not have to do this. But you loved us enough to die for us and ransom us to send your ransom, the Son, Jesus, I pray that we will embrace that this morning. We will be convicted to go out and honor you with what we do, how we live. In your name we pray. Amen.